Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 269. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. February is almost over. March is here after a very nice fifth birthday for my young son and a wild night at Dave and Buster's. Now is still very much a time to stay vigilant. But now it's 2024. I'm now 82. As Ecclesiastes tells us, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. To serve Kentucky in the Senate has been the honor of my life. To lead my Republican colleagues has been the highest privilege. But one of life's most underappreciated talents is to know when it's time to move on to life's next chapter. So I stand before you today, Mr. President, and my colleagues to say this will be my last term as Republican leader of the Senate. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. However, I'll complete my job. My colleagues have given me until we select a new leader in November and they take the helm next January. I'll finish the job the people of Kentucky hired me to do as well, albeit from a different seat. Yes, Mitch McConnell is about 500 years older than my son, who just turned five years old. Mitch McConnell is out, and a chaotic time in Congress is about to get even more chaotic. Maybe it's time for our friend Amy McGrath to run again. Or maybe our other Kentucky friend, Rex Chapman. Because the times are changing. And the old guard is going down. One way or another, they're going down. But not before they make one last pathetic and sorry stand in the 2024 presidential election. Yeah, and lots of folks are talking about how old and how unpopular both Donald Trump and Joe Biden are. But there are stories beneath the stories that still don't get enough attention. And after primaries in New Hampshire and South Carolina and now Michigan, there are stories that I think need a bit more focus and a bit more vigilance. And the story that remains underreported is not how much Trump is crushing Nikki Haley in each of these primaries. The bigger story is how much Trump isn't getting. He's a freight train as a nominee. He's going to get the nomination. But he's still not getting 30% in Michigan. And he's continuing to struggle with moderates in his own party, and especially with independents, as was revealed most vividly in New Hampshire, and we covered in the last episode. This weakness continues to underscore his general election weakness, which is revealed and increasing with Haley staying in. On the other side, Joe Biden is inevitable too, but failed with 15% of uncommitted protest votes against him in the Michigan primary. 
and another 3% went to Williamson, and she dropped out months ago. Biden continues to struggle with progressive Democrats due to his stance on Israel and because of his age. And he'll struggle with independence on the age for sure, and also with liberal California Senator Kamala Harris as VP. I think that Joe Biden not only has an age problem, but that the age problem is compounded with independents and with moderate Republicans by his Kamala Harris problem. Now, stay tuned for more of that coming up with our guest. And in South Carolina, there was also some stuff revealed. About 7 in 10 South Carolina primary voters said they usually think of themselves as Republicans. That's down 76% from 2016. And 7 in 10 of them supported Trump. And about another 2 in 10 identified as independents. And a majority of these folks supported Nikki Haley. Now, some self-identified Democrats participated in the primary, too, because it was open, which is a good thing. But again, a significant percentage of Republicans, and especially moderate Republicans, and especially independents, are saying no to Trump. And this does not bode well for him in the general election. But, and too many forget, especially in the media, that Robert F. Kennedy Jr., unfortunately, continues to have the highest favorability rating of all the candidates and continues to poll over 20% and will likely gain momentum in the coming months, especially among critical independents, which I wish wasn't true, but I know it is. 2024 is all about moving a critical and growing number of us independent Americans. That's the final battlefield. It's all going to come down to us. This year, and likely every presidential year to come, we independents are the key. We are the future. And stakes is high. Stakes is high. You know them stakes is high. We talking about Stakes is high. And I'm going to continue to try to bring you light, to contrast, to heat throughout all of it. Be sure to check out extra content on YouTube and at independentamericans.us where you can always find out more and join our dedicated Patreon community. Big shout out to our vigilant, very vigilant, and most vigilant Patreon members who continue to make this content possible. You're going to help us through these chaotic times. And throughout this wild and tumultuous election year, I'm going to continue to bring you voices of reason, voices of perspective, and voices of independence, and voices from both sides of the political aisle. And in this episode, we've got a returning champion who has the very interesting distinction of being the only Republican host on MSNBC. That's right, he's back. The former lieutenant governor of Maryland, the former head of the Republican Party, our friend, Michael Steele. I watch your light In the dark of night We're going to break down the current state of the media. We're going to look deep inside the Republican Party and talk about whether Trump really is showing signs of major weakness. And we're going to debate quite a bit, as we often do. We don't see things eye to eye all the time, but we always have a reasonable, fun, and respectful conversation. 
And we need a whole lot more of that in America, no matter what age you are. Why can't you see? I'm going to ask Michael Steele the critical question. Where are the Nikki Haley voters going to go in the general election? We'll talk about who Trump might pick as VP and if there's actually a scenario for Biden that would include dropping Kamala Harris. Yes, we're going to get through all of it and celebrate my five-year-old's birthday in a compelling and fun new episode of Independent Americans, your source for independent content. Declare your independence, spread the word, and tell everyone to join our movement. Thank you for riding with us again and for all your support. Please keep spreading the word. Welcome to a time of change. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 269. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world. We are closing February with a fury. March Madness is soon upon us. It is my son's fifth birthday. I know. And one of my favorite guests, one of our favorite guests is back, a returning champion. The great and powerful Michael Steele is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, sir. Hey, man, it's good to be in the neighborhood and a happy Five-year anniversary shout-out to your son. <laughs> Five years of, of making your life fun. Man, it's been it's it's great. He's but he's coming into the world at a crazy time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Folks, folks yeah. watching on video, I did this for you too, Michael. I've got balloons. I see the balloons, man. You it's know, looking I'm, good. I, I'm looking bringing good. the fun that you don't have on MSNBC that we need more of, right? You and I both know we need we need more fun. I think we probably need more drinks. Uh I have Yeah, we definitely need more drinks. I have my speaking uh, of which I have my dad of the birthday boy shirt on. See that? I love it. I love it. But you were saying? Uh, no, nah, I'm saying speaking of drinks. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're all we're all gonna need a lot of coffee and a lot of drinks in the in the next couple of months. But welcome back. It's good to be with you, man. Great to have you here. Uh first off, congratulations on the new show. Thanks. Yeah. Uh the weekend is a lot of fun. We we're on on Saturday and Sundays from eight to I mean ten, eight to ten. Uh, with Simone Sanders Townsend and Alicia Menendez and myself. And, you know, it's just it's really good so far to just kind of create this, this space where we can get on with live guests. I mean, that's really a big selling point of the show is that we actually have people physically at the table with us, which, you know, makes a big difference in how the conversation feels and how it sounds. And you can look someone in the eye and they say something, you kind of follow up immediately, and and so it's it's kind of a nice a nice space for us right now, and and it's doing well. I mean, the response public for the public has been good. The network seems to like it. So, yeah, I guess we live to survive another week, right? I think you know it 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 gives me uh, some hope for the future of the media, like that the powers that be finally gave you a fucking show, um, <laughs> which is like long overdue. You know, it's not. I and, and, and that. Simone has been great. And Alicia and I have been meeting almost once a week since 
um, since Nicole was out on maternity leave. Yeah. And, and I, Alicia and I go way back, uh, you know, almost two decades. So it's been exciting to see her rise to this moment. But you're right about the in-person part. That's why I always go in studio with Nicole and with News Nation, with others. Yeah. When you're yeah. there, you have that chemistry and that and that feel for each other that I think is really important and missing. And I'm I'm still struck by like how shitty some people's home setup is. So I also think it's for the audience. Like you could look good. We look good. But some of these people are like, like in the back of their car and and it just, I think it's a kind of, at this point, it's a little little bit of a disrespect to the viewer, you know? Well, yeah. You think after three years, you'd be able to, you know, at least get a a decent uh, backdrop, uh, something that, you know, people can tolerate looking at for six minutes. But you know, look, it's the the conversation in the studio, as you know, is, is so much more dynamically important than than what you you know have gotten since the land of Zoom arrived. And and I think you know, for our show, it, it's a good it's a good feel. I'm I'm looking forward to getting you on uh, to have you on set uh, with us. And and it's just you know, we the way the show will operate, we'll do two weeks here in D.C. with all of us. We'll do. Uh, a week uh, where all of us are in New York and then we'll have Alicia in New York and us in DC. So kind of, you know, cover the Excel corridor that way. But, you know, we've got options, we've got good guests and the conversation right now couldn't be more important, as they say. So I'm, I'm excited about it. And, you know, bookings matter. And I also think the format matters. And I think part of why you guys are are, are doing well is because people are sick of the st- Sunday morning talk shows and the standard yeah. kind of format. And yours yeah. is a little more freewheeling. It's what I've tried to do in my show and everything I'm doing. I mean, I, I keep saying this to folks, but the future of of media is not, you know, frankly, it's it's not meet the press it, or, or or the standard Sunday morning talk shows. It's like Pat McAfee. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's a lot more freewheeling. It's a lot more honest. It's a lot more spontaneous, it's, and that I, and that's something that even even with uh, our show, and I, I'm a little bit more of the maverick in that regard in terms of really pressing and pushing to to do exactly that to be more free freewheeling, uh, less scripted, uh, and by scripted it's just reading the you know the sort of setup uh, you know for the conversation but to more spontaneously evolve into the conversation uh, and 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 sort of be able to pull something out of your guests that you otherwise wouldn't get. I mean, what I, why I love doing your podcast, you're doing my podcast, is that we're just two guys who, you know, are trying to get a clue. And the clue we get, we try to share with everybody else. And we want to do it in an honest way in which there's no bullshit, there's no pretense, it's just Paul and Michael saying, this is how we see it. Now, you can agree or disagree with that, but that's the point. We want to engage you that way. And 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 so when you get in situations, as you know, where, you know, you, you have this sort of rote kind of formulaic approach, um, it becomes boring um, to the to the audience and it's boring to the guests. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're sitting there going, oh, my God, hurry mm-hmm. up. I got to go wash my hair. Yep. And that's saying something for me and us. <laughs> you and me. When we say when we say we got to go wash our hair, <laughs> you know you've reached a point where that conversation is not going real well. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I want to dig into all of it. Um, and, and I think it's a really interesting time in cable news, in media yep. and in politics where there's so much disruption happening. 
Um, but let, let me go back to you because, uh, you know, you having a show, I think is important. Um, you know, I've been saying that out loud and, and to you privately for, you have. You've for, been for a, a long, long time, time for a lot a of reasons, but also because like, you know, uh, MSNBC can be the echo chamber. You know, when I'm over there, sometimes I feel like the most conservative person by default, you know, and, and that's like being, you know, the fastest 80 year old. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> but let me, let me, let me, let me go back to you. How are you and where are you? You're in Maryland, it looks like, but where yeah, are I'm you? In I'm are in you Maryland. Going? I'm in Maryland and uh, this is my home state. Uh, and, you know, for folks, just as a little background, I, I was uh, born here in Maryland at Andrews Air Force Base. I was raised in Washington, D.C., so I'm a native Washingtonian um and um spent my entire life growing up there and you know stayed pretty much locally in the in the area so this is my base uh, uh camp if you will and uh it, it get, affords me an opportunity certainly given you know having grown up uh in the DMV and specifically in Washington DC to have a bird's eye view on the on the cast of characters who come through here um, to serve our nation uh, in public office, um, and as well as you know, to get this this sort of interesting bifurcation between how a state uh, deals with uh, you know the events of the day and how you know the you know one of the nation's most important municipalities uh, deals with that, meaning Washington D.C. So I've always felt like I sit in a very interesting seat to sort of watch history unfold. You know, so it's been kind of cool. Good. And let me ask you now, because I don't know what Nicole's official categorization is. Are you the only Republican with hosting on MSNBC right now? Yes. Yeah, I, I, I am. I'm the only Republican hosting because Nicole and and uh, Joe Scarborough uh, left the party. Uh, I'm still in the party. Uh, it's not much of a party. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask a follow up. So many I, levels. Every time the... we check, every time we visit, we check in on a couple things. So let me ask you now. So you're still a Republican. Now, still a Republican. Every time I talk to no. you, I'm going to say that, right? Yeah, you're yeah, still a Republican. Yeah, just so folks know, that's that's our that's our deal. He's going to ask me that question. I'm yeah. going to answer. So it tell me why I, why you haven't you know declared your independence and why you're still well, giving look, the, your family you know, name. As 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 I've said before, I mean, this, I was here first. Hell, I was here first. Um, I've been a Republican since 1976. And, and if this thing if this thing goes off the edge into complete fascism and we've got an autocrat in the White House, are you staying on board for the whole ride or what? I like likely not. I mean, at that point, it, you know, if Donald Trump gets reelected, gets elected this November, that changes that changes a lot. It changes a lot, not just for me, but for a lot of Republicans who are still inside the party. Yeah, that and that's that's a really important question because I want I want to dig into that as we think about what we're seeing from. Michigan and what we're seeing from South Carolina. I asked Kinzinger this when he's on all. I ask all all Republicans who come on, especially the ones that are moderate, independent minded. Right. Uh, so for you, the break point is not whether they nominate him, but if he's elected. If he's elected, yeah. Michael yeah. Steele is out. Yeah. The nominate the nomination. We know. I mean, that, look, and that just that just speaks to the wasteland that the party has become. You know, it cannot it cannot imagine itself in any other place except for wherever Donald Trump is. That changes if Donald Trump loses, because then you'll have what I think will be a very important battle for the heart and soul of the GOP. Um, you're gonna have, you see what Nikki Haley's doing right now. Um, I like many uh, understand and appreciate it as being as futile as it seems. 
Um, but there is a value uh, proposition attached to it that I think is very, very important. And so from that standpoint, I, I want to be able to, um, uh, you know, make clear that for those of us that are still inside the fight, we we take note of what Nikki's doing. We're very demonstra demonstrably supportive of it. Um, I would love to see her kick this guy right up his ass and out of the out of the the primary, but that's not going to happen. So um, the question then becomes, what next? And the what next, Paul, is two things: either one, you just burn it all down. All right. And that's that's ultimately what happens either way. If Trump wins or loses, that's going to be on the table uh, for a lot of folks, which goes to, speaks to that battle I'm talking about. Or two, you give the party a political enema where you push out as much of the crap as you can. Uh, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and and you, uh, et cetera. And, and, and you really. Uh, you know, plant your flag, you know, your Reagan flag, your Eisenhower flag, your Bush flag, your Lincoln flag, your Grant flag, you know, you know, all those Republicans who have built this party over its, um, you know, 160 some year history, uh, you you try to get um, you try to get folks engaged at that level. And that happens whether Trump wins or loses. Right. What changes, though, is the dynamic um, through which it happens. You know, uh, with Trump losing, then the fight is is going to be um, it's going to be on and it's going to be bloody and it's going to be brutal. If Trump wins, then you're going to have a lot of folks just say, check, please. Right. And get out, um, because like to your point, then we're full fascism at that point. We're full white nationalism. We're full proud, proud boys. And you and I are going to be battling very differently against this menace um, over the next four years. Um, so that's one thing. If if you know he wins, uh, then you also have the, the the opportunity to sort of create the battle still within, but it's going to be a little bit more subtle because what you see Trump doing right now is not only dominating the party but putting in place the people who will lock in his control of the party. And you need to understand why he's doing that. He's doing it because he needs the RNC to write him checks. This man holds, owes half a billion dollars as of today. Right. And I suspect as of the summer, that could be close to a billion dollars that this man is going to owe. And he's not he's he is not independently wealthy. A lot of his um, money is tied up in 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 property and naming rights. He's not he's not liquid in that regard. So the most liquid entity around him is the RNC. So you mm -hmm. put your daughter in law in charge. You put. Um, a sycophantic uh, state chairman in, in charge. You put your political operative uh, to run the day-to-day -day operations. And please, folks, don't buy the lie. If 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 Donald Trump calls Chris LaCivita and tells him, I need $100 million out of the RNC, guess what they're doing? They're writing a check for $100 yeah. million. Yeah. Yeah. So all of this, you know, so he's going to run it. That he's ain't gonna, happening and all that. Yeah. No, I'm not stupid. He's going to he's going to run it till the wheels come off. It's it's going for broke, right? 
But let me ask you this before we get to the whether he wins. I want to I want to like I've been deconstructing what we're seeing from these primaries. And I think a lot of the media is stupid and they're just calling the weather as they see it. And they don't understand the bigger story or the deeper parts of this country. And what I think is 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 being underreported is not like every headline says Trump crushes Haley. Right. But she got 30 percent. Okay, 30 percent of the GOP said hell no to Trump. Hundred thousand people in Michigan. Right. We saw that was. But okay. period. Hold on. Let me let me just finish if I can. So so we saw a significant pushback in New Hampshire. Right. Right. We see we saw some pushback even in South Carolina. Yes, he destroyed her in South Carolina, but she got a significant percentage. So the question for me is. I think that his base is narrowing. I think that he continues to to double down and drive away independence. Biden, I want to get to in a second. But the real question is, where do the Nikki Haley voters go, right? Because she is playing for QB2, right? If something goes down, she wants to be there. She's putting up this good fight. She's taking shots at him and chipping away at him, right? Maybe. But, But at the end of the day, the people who voted for her in Michigan and in South Carolina and in New Hampshire where do they go? Do they vote for Biden? Do they vote for RFK Jr.? Do they stay home? You're an expert on the party. Where do you see those critical people going? So let, let's understand, and I want to correct your numbers a little bit, because I think that this has been one of the, this is this is where the media fails the American people, and they, and they fail the conversation. So they look at New Hampshire, 43% for Nikki. They look at South Carolina, 40% for Nikki. Um, they look at Michigan and this thirty percent for Mickey uh, for Nikki, and they say, "Oh, she's she's eating into to Trump's base." No, she is not. She's not eating to Trump's base because Trump's base is not voting for her. Number one, right. number two, if that forty three percent, forty percent, and that thirty percent uh, are votes that were conducted in an open primary, meaning right. Democrats and independents yep. also voted in the Republican primary which skews, distorts the number and the support that she has among Republicans, because only Republicans will elect the nominee, not Democrats and independents, because after March 15th, every race is a winner-take-all race. Right. Right. So there are no more open primaries. There is no way for Democrats and independents to vote for Nikki after March 15th. The Michigan race, again, because Joe Biden was on the ballot, which is possibly why her numbers were smaller than they were, which is clo- which is a closer reflection of her support within the GOP. Um, but still, there were Democrats and independents who voted for her. Again, do not show that Nikki has a groundswell. So you really have to understand that the Republican base is not voting for her, which goes to your your point well where does her vote go yeah if, if i think joe, we're kind of in heated agreement on that like i, I think we could dissect the numbers but at the end of the day where yeah, does that think, go yeah, whether yeah, it's 20 percent or 10 percent we're talking about a key swath where yeah, do you but, think but, they go as you break it apart well yeah, I, can't, I, I can't help being a party chairman it's it's yeah. important it's yeah. important for people to understand because i don't want people to sit, sit out there and think that there's all this, like all of a sudden, yeah. she's moving the needle inside yeah. the. But so whatever percentage you say, right? We'll say some right. are Democrats, some are Independents. If you were right. going to break those three segments apart, the Republicans that voted, whatever number they are, which they're will be voting, critical, they're right? not voting for Donald. They may or may not vote for Donald Trump. But Republicans are very loyal about coming back home, which is why you see 
all these Republicans, when they're asked, you know, if Donald Trump is the nominee, who rail against Donald Trump, and they ask him, well, you know, if he's a, if he's the nominee, will you vote for him? They say yes, because their fealty to the party is still the greatest pull for right. them, and they cannot find themselves, unlike myself, sitting in a situation where they go, well, let me weigh the party versus the country, because it's not about Joe Biden and Donald right. Trump. It's about how I feel about Donald Trump being in the White House. And so that to me is a value proposition for the country, not a value proposition for my party. Sure. And so I don't think I don't think um that Donald Trump uh loses too much from Nikki Haley. In fact, if Nikki Haley drops out, um when she drops out, I think she endorses him. And the reason that I think she endorses him is because she wants to be viable in 2028. Right. And if she doesn't endorse the, the, the putative nominee in 24 and then goes before that same electorate in four years and asks them to nominate her, it ain't happening. So at the end of the day, Michael Steele says not, uh, you know, 10 percent, 5 percent. What percentage of the GOP? I, I can't put a percentage on it. Okay. I can't. So, I can't so whatever percentage it is, you're saying most of them, 90 percent plus, will go back Republicans, to Trump. Republicans come home to their nominee okay. in and the general election battle. That, that is the main. Now, what about the independents? The Let's talk away. about the independents. Which independents we tend to be center-right voters. At the end okay. of the day, independents make are made up of disaffected Republicans and disaffected conservative uh, Democrats. And and so at the at the end of that day, um, they will more than the Republicans, especially, will more than likely break um, closer to Trump than to Biden. Now, that having been said, the reality of it is there are things that can can further that narrative in a way away from Trump than closer to Trump. It's certainly the, the political trials, his own behavior. And more importantly, I think, Paul, the, the reminder of what those four years of Trump were, the reminder of how this man sounds about issues, what he says about people, what he thinks about things. And the press has stopped doing that. It was always this sort of battle, oh, do we, do we roll his, his uh, rallies? Do we tell people what he said? Do we share that? And they got away from that. So what happened when they got away from it? People started having, you know, you know, as they do with all presidents, looking fondly back on his time in office. Right. So, so that's why you see polls go, oh, the economy was much better under Trump than under under Biden. Well, no, <laughs> no, that's not necessarily the case, and it's because we're we're we've forgotten what happened during COVID. We forgot what happened. Um, at the border um, and, and elsewhere. So I think the more those st stories get in place, the more they reinform um, the independent voter. And we've seen already recently in polling to the extent that they are re um, reinformed, they don't break for Trump. Right. Right. So, I, yeah, I mean, I think I think I think we're we're in heated agreement on most of this. Democrats are going to come home to Biden. Republicans are going to come home to Trump. And then there's going to be a fight over this critical group yeah. of Republicans who might, small number, whatever, they might leave Trump and go for Biden. And the independents in the middle that are absolutely essential that I think was maybe most reflected in, in, in New Hampshire, right? right. Where we right. saw. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back after this. And we are back. Let me, I know you got to wrap soon, but oh, no, the, building on, building on this, 
can you evaluate the significance of RFK Jr.? Is he, you know, whether he gets on the ballot, obviously, is key. I'm seeing energy for him, right? And it's a lot of the same disaffected people who have nowhere else to go that maybe felt, you know, everywhere from Ross Perot to Lyndon LaRouche to Andrew Yang. It's a kind of a mishmash of a lot of people who just want an alternative, right? And then there's some right. people that are tricked by it. But if he stays in all the way through, do, how significant do you think he will be specifically in attracting independence? If he calls I don't, I don't, independent I don't with the Kennedy that. name. Yeah, I don't think in the main, the Kennedy name has little value relative to him for voters. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a generation or two of voters who don't even know what that legacy is. Um, And and so I I don't think that that value proposition is one that's elevated in the minds of voters. I think that in terms of if he's if he decides, because I know that he's now looking at, you know, um, moving into. you know, becoming the nominee for one of the other parties like the Libertarians who basically gave him the thumbs down at their convention recently. Um, But uh, I I just don't see him being that big a factor in a general election, not like a no labels candidate would be, um, because a no labels candidate would likely have a well-known, well-regarded Republican or former Republican as their presidential candidate, along with a Democrat, is that going to uh, happen? Where like, you know they said March they're going to announce. We all know that they've asked some people, and a lot of people have said no, right? Yeah. And, and now it's almost March. They're going to pick somebody, uh, and who do you think it's going to be? I, and- I I don't know who it's going to be because all of the leading contenders on the Republican side, I think, as you noted, have said no from Huntsman to Hogan. Um, you know, uh, you've got Democrats. You can't put a Democrat at the top of the ticket because then that becomes um, a head to head with uh, Joe Biden uh, in a way that, you know, no labels claims that they're not trying to hurt Joe Biden. Um, but they are that that candidate, that effort will hurt Joe Biden. They're in 17 states, 16, 17 states yeah. right now. Um, I don't know if they get to 50 states. Uh, if they don't get to state 50 states, then you're going to have this this hodgepodge of, you know, maybe 25 states, 30 states with a no labels presidential candidate and 25, 30 states where there is no uh, low, uh, no labels candidate, which makes for a complete mess. So between the RFK Jr. effort and the no labels effort, all of that works to Trump's advantage. All of that works at Trump's advantage. And the key reason it does is because the Trump voter is the most committed voter on the planet. They will turn out on Election Day to vote for Donald Trump this cycle because they want to take America back to finish the fascist work that they started in 2016. And that's that. It is about retribution. It is about revenge. It is about remaking America in Trump's image, whatever the hell that is. I'm sorry, you know, sort of fake blonde hair and orange skin is not a good a good look on any on any day or on anybody, especially me. I don't look good orange. So the reality of it is we need to understand what the proposition is, what what the agenda is. And regardless of what you think or feel about Joe Biden. Uh, give me the 81 year old man who's not a fascist and who actually understands I hear you on that. the Constitution. I hear over you. The one over the 78 year old who wants to be a dictator. Michael, who who's Trump going to pick for VP? 
You know, uh, there there's there's a number there are a number of folks uh, whose names have been popping around. Um, I still think it's Elise Stefanik. I think she offers him a lot of what he wants. He gives her uh, he she gives him the enthusiasm of a Carrie Lake. Uh, the uh, the elevation of you know a a Mike Pence, meaning you know someone with a bit of gravitas is a member of Congress, um, and and more importantly uh, the the absolute fealty that he's looking for in his next vice president, um, you know of of you know Miller or Bannon or anyone else like that. Yeah, I think it's as good of a bet as any others. And do you think is Carrie Lake going to beat Gallego in Arizona? No. You think Gallego's going to pull it out? I think so at the end of the day, yeah. I mean Carrie Lake is it's is, is Carrie Lake wasn't running in that race in a tight race. She'd be a, a pretty good option in the Trump prism, right? He'd look at her no, and say because, he checks a lot no, of boxes not for him. Really. I, no, because oh. the last thing Trump wants is someone who's prettier than him and, <laughs> and, and more importantly, uh can draw cameras away from him. I hear you on that. Okay. Two two quick final ones here. Um, everybody's talking about Biden having an age problem. I think that the part that people are not talking about is he's also got a Kamala Harris problem, which is which which is which is a part of what's baked in, especially for independence around Biden. If you're uneasy about Biden and you're okay with the Harris, it's one thing. If you're if you're if you're worried about Biden's age, if you were going to cook up like a candidate in a lab who would drive away moderate you know Republicans and disaffected Democrats. It would be a California senator who never served in uniform who's a black woman, right? Like, it, does he have a Kamala Harris problem in addition to having an age problem? Because a lot of people that are in that they're maybe on the fence are are don't want her as president, frankly. Right. Well, I don't know what her being a black woman would have to do with any of that. I would hope very little, if nothing at all. But being a California senator, being a liberal, yes. Um so unless unless we're saying that race is an issue for people in terms of not wanting to have a black a black oh I, that's what I'm saying yeah I think yeah. people are racist and I think I think it's baked in and and, yeah. and it's part of well, what I people agree are... with that I I'd agree a lot of a, a lot of the noise around Kamala Harris at the end of the day uh, sticks on two poles one that she's a woman and two that she's a black uh, an African American um, so. There may be a Kamala Harris problem, but ain't a damn thing anyone can do about it. Because at the end of the day, she A, is going to be on the ticket, uh, and B, try to take her off. If you take Kamala Harris off the ticket, you might as well end the election that day, because there's not an African-American, especially an African-American woman in this country that would vote for that ticket. And don't and trust me on this one, she would not go quietly into that good night. So... <laughs> You that's, know, that's probably I think, true. I, I think that, you know, a lot of this noise, again, this is where Democrats are their own worst enemy. They are the most politically inept, tone deaf party I've ever. I say it all the time. I don't know how we ever lost an election to them, but I can say this. I didn't. So I'm not worried so much about that. But others, <laughs> yeah, I, I just I don't understand um, the thinking that you would allow your vice presidential uh, choice uh, of the president 
be uh, taken down the way they've allowed her to take, be taken down. And that's been aided by the ineptitude of uh, the operation inside the West Wing that overwhelmed her with a whole bunch of stuff she couldn't be successful on because it was too much at one time at the beginning. Um, and then, um, you know, all the other narratives that started creep, they allowed to creep out about her. So Kamala is Kamala and she's going to be on the ticket. And, you know, folks are, you know, Republicans are going to run, as you know, Paul, they're going to run the, well, a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for Kamala. Yeah. Uh, Right. That's and, my that's my whole point. Right. Is they and, know and America has to reconcile itself with that. So then the question becomes, do you prefer a 78 year old white man who wants to be a dictator and wants who said he wants to tear up the Constitution over a liberal black woman? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think that's really like that's part of what's baked in. And I feel like it's one of the conversations that is not being had out loud on television. Right. Because like, let's let's assume Americans are not their better angels. Right. right. And they are the wor- that some of them are the worst of us. And but we still got to get their votes. Right. And that's where I think Democrats tend to be uh, more idealistic than, than, than pragmatic. Right. When they've run candidates in places. You and I have talked about how much race is a factor where, right. where candidates are getting well, you, out you, that MSNBC you, loves MSNBC loves. But but the moderates don't love or the key independents. No, so what's your solution? What's your solution to the Biden Harris? You don't like you're going to love it. You're going to love it. and You're going to hate it because I've said this on the show before. I think there's only one possible solution. Your head's going to explode when I say this. You swap her out for Westmore. And and you get energy, you get youth, you get national security experience, you get fundraising, you get, yes, the base is going to be pissed off, and a lot of people are going to be outraged for a while, and then they're going to fall in love with Wes and get over with. Now, this is a, this is a Hail Mary pass, right? I don't think it's likely to happen, but right. I think it's maybe the only one solution that I could see on the board that actually helps them move that problem. And talks about the longevity issue, the future of the party. You can't you put still, Shapiro you in. Still use, you still lose black women because you fundamentally I don't, don't understand. I mean, the, I, that's no, right. No, that, no, there is no. I don't know. You fundamentally I, don't understand the connection that Kamala has to black women and what she. No, represents. no, I, I, I get that, but I'm saying I don't get it personally. But I understand that, and I'm saying right. I think at the end of the day, you really think that if if if. If he dropped Kamala Harris and he put Wes Moore in there and he said, I'm doing this in part because we got to win the election, they're going to vote for Trump or they're not going to so vote? You're going to take, you're going to, so then, so then the response back to that is you're playing the race card because all you're doing, you're taking a, a, a governor who's not been in office for a year and putting him, making him vice president of the United States. And that's the only experience that he's had. That's no, I'm, not, only, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, no, no, I'm let not, me finish the yeah, point. Yeah, that is the yeah. only experience he's had in government is one year as governor of the state of Maryland. Hey, hey, so, I, I, you and I always have the argument about West. I get it. But you got a bunch of stars, Gavin Newsom, Shapiro, Moore. And they've all, they've all got a long track record in government public service. So that's I, all I, I'm honestly, saying. I get it. I get it. I get it. I, I don't think I think there are special candidates who that who that matters less for? I think Obama was an example, right? I think again Kennedy he had he example, had eighteen right? months in the United States Senate and, yeah. and eight years in the state legislature. Yeah. So, so let me let me flip it back on you in this way because we always have this discussion and and I want always want to get a check in on how you think Moore is doing in your state. But at the end of the day, if Biden drops dead tomorrow, right? right. Who who's gonna who's gonna emerge from the mess in the Democrats and be the nominee? Gavin Newsom. Okay. 
And you think Shapiro would sit out? Wes would sit out? I'm not saying they would sit Gretchen out. Gretchen Whitmer yeah. would sit out? Uh, I'm not saying they would sit out. I think Wes would sit out, yes, because I think Wes is smart enough to know that uh, against a Shapiro and certainly against a Whitmer, he'd, it'd be, it, would, it's, it would clearly not be his time. Again, you can't cite Obama. Obama is the lightning strike. That will not happen again in American politics in our lifetime. And I think we need to be realistic about that. Going back to your very own point about race right now in America, particularly given how elevated it is for a lot of white folks out there. Yep. So, you know, everybody wants to play nice and coy. But as one white political operative put it to me, we're not doing that again for a long time. Hmm. So so I, I, that's being honest. And I appreciate it as brutal as it was. I appreciated his honesty because it's exactly what I conclusion I come to. So I think the reality of it is uh, around these conversations that um, the process is playing out the way the process should play out. Uh, people may not be happy about their choices, but their choices that they made. And if people, if the Democrats really wanted Joe Biden out, look, I don't know what Democrats thought would happen to a 77 year old man in four years that he would suddenly be 73? No, he's going to be 81. Yep. And if you wanted him off the ticket because you were suddenly so concerned about his age and, and made up feebleness, then you would have gone to him a year ago and said, you know what, Mr. President, we think we need to move in a different direction. But they didn't. And so now all the, the moaning and groaning about Joe Biden is, is killing their opportunity to prevent Donald Trump from coming back into power because yeah. Donald Trump is more feeble and three years younger. So yeah, I, but you know what? But I, 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 I hear about all that. And I, number one, I think I think race is kind of the the conversation that doesn't happen, especially on cable news, because I think people are scared, right? And nobody right. wants to get canceled or say the wrong thing. And I don't think they also want to talk openly about racism among their countrymen. And you and I have talked right. about this a number yeah. of times on this show. I think right. it's really, yeah. really important. It's like, if you want to gauge a Senate race, you got to kind of say, how racist is that state, right? We got to can look, go from Alabama all the way down, and you can kind of create a, race, a racist factor to it and see how that pans out over right. the course of how they receive candidates. And I think it's part of why a candidate like Pat Ryan will do well, because the Democrats don't want to admit that white guys do better in some places. Right. Yeah, and that, yeah. right. And that, that's the reality. But I do think the point I, I would ask us to maybe come back to again is I think you're right about a lot of things. We disagree on some things. I think that Westmore is the once in a generation guy. I think Obama is almost a different generation. I think Wes has got the magic. I think the Democrats are smoking crack if they think Gavin Newsom is going to play on the national stage. Gretchen Whitmer is another thing. But I think, and this is, you can put all the experience stuff in there. I think Wes has got that magic. And I think we'll see, right? You and I yeah, will see five or 10 years. I, I, my advice to Wes remains, do the job in front of you and, let, and, and worry about the presidency later. Because I've seen way too many people in my experience uh, set their eyes on the prize instead of the one that's directly in front of them. And when they jump out on that stage uh, and, you know, some people currently in office are are come to mind because I had that conversation with them years ago. And sure enough, it's played out exactly as I thought it would. Um, you you wind up you wind up uh, missing that opportunity. The dynamics on the Democratic side side is simply this. Wes is a standout, but he's no more of a standout than many other people. 
And so I think that that is going to be um, a very in, important um, opportunity and challenge for Democrats. When you look at their bench, they've got a deep bench. Um, they've got a good cadre of governors. They've got a good cadre of uh, U.S. senators. Um, they've got a cadre of former governors. Um, so they they have a bench that we do not necessarily have on the Republican side um, in terms of being able to capture the imagination of voters in a way that generationally will change the trajectory of American politics. Uh, politics. So, yeah, I mean, I look. Uh, Wes is doing okay here in Maryland right so far. He's they're they're in session now and they're doing okay. I want to so great year one grade it from Westmore in Maryland is okay. We'll give no, him. no. He's doing okay now. I mean, like, it's got to be a good B, B. A solid B. Okay. Yeah, I mean and now, the, and the now Larry Hogan's the, coming back on the scene, which is going to be interesting. For and Hogan Hogan changes the dynamics here in Maryland. Yeah, uh, I think that Senate race is is now in play for for Republicans in Maryland. Um, um, and, and, and I think, you know, he represents, um, you know, some comparison and some, some contrast for, for Wes and for other Democrats here in the state. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I think that you're, you're going to see a lot of that kind of play, um, uh, over the next few months, but, you know, you know, you, you've got, I think the bottom line is Nationally, there's a lot of energy around Gavin Newsom, but there's also a lot of energy around Whitmer. There's a lot of energy around Shapiro. There's energy around uh, Moore. And, and so as, as the 2024 race, which is Biden-Trump, unfolds and plays out, it sets up what 2028 looks like for all of these individuals. Um, and, you know, for Wes Moore, his reelect is in 26. Um, should he get reelected, then he will be in the position as a you know one-term um, incumbent, and then make that decision to run for president. But knowing that the political landscape in twenty-eight is not going to be twenty-four, and and yep. so it it will it will um, make or break uh, him and others uh, based on what happens in the next four years with whomever is sitting in, in the Oval Office. I think. I think that Democrats in the MSNBC crowd are overinflating Newsom and Shapiro and their popularity, in my view, and especially among I, independents I, yeah. and among moderates, right? Like now, Gretchen Whitmer, maybe we'll see Westmore a little bit more of a blank slate on the national stage, right? Others as well. So right. I think there's some room for them. And, and part of why I always go back to Wes and a few others is because he's got the national security experience. He's got the time in uniform. I think that story is always very powerful with independents and with Republicans especially. That yeah. could have been a better differentiator for DeSantis, and part of his incompetence was not playing that up more. But I think there's a narrative. Yeah, but I think if he played it up, it really wouldn't have mattered. But I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take a little bit of exception that it's not the MSNBC, you know, uh, media crowd that's all in on Gap. I was literally just in Pennsylvania and doing an event and had, uh, you know, folks who came from the audience and Democrats and they would express it because we've had this conversation about presidential candidates and they expressed their, they like Gavin Newsom. Yeah, they Democrat. Do. There's no doubt Democrats. So I'm just, like I'm just saying that, that's that, a given. Yeah. I don't sell short now. Now, whether he will translate in an electoral sense, that's a whole different conversation. That's my point. Everybody, yeah. 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 everybody, Shapiro, Moore, all of them 
Running for governor is not the same as running for president. How many, yeah. you know, just just ask President uh, fill in the blank because you know the reality <laughs> of it is it doesn't it doesn't play out that way. Well, but look, I, I wished it. I wished one thing. I wished that you were running instead of instead of Larry Hogan, and <laughs> and and I, you know, I won't go. I won't say any more than that. Okay, right, right. And, and and if you can't be in in the Senate and you can't be in elected office, I'm glad you finally got a fucking show. Right, right. That is overdue. <laughs> And, you know, even even harder than running in the Democratic primary is being a Republican in MSNBC. Hey, well, so, dude, you, you know, it's you know, I, I tell them all the time when we get back to conversation, y'all going to realize how conservative I really am. When we start well, talking you know, policy again. Democrats love Gavin Newsom. They love, you know, they, they love uh, Stacey Abrams. They, they love and they love you. They love you. Yeah. And, and you have been accepted in there in a way that I think is very important because you're 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 a voice of reason. And what can kind of be a little bit of a crazy place sometimes. So you know, it can be. I, it, it can be. And which is why I love having you on that air, because yeah. it's it's important uh, to have that strong, independent voice uh, frame um, issues around, uh, you know, policies and things that are happening in the country so that it is there is a broader lens through which we're looking. Right. That is better, a better reflection of every American's perspective out there as opposed to just the hard left or the hard right. Well, I appreciate you. I took way more time than I promised. No, it's uh, all good, man. I love hanging out with I you. Am, I am I am grateful for you and your show and your voice. And I hope everyone will continue to listen to and follow you. And most of all, because the, the media has become an echo chamber. And I have this unique ability uh, or opportunity to bounce between echo chambers. Yeah. And it's rare when I look across and I go, oh, so this guy's on a different sheet of music than everybody else. And yeah. you've been on your sheet of music and your voice, which I think is really, really important for the country. And, and you know, it's you mostly the Democrats. Same. I mean, I, I love it. I think, I think we're two sides of the same coin, man. And it's just, for me, it's, it's just good to know that uh, in this battle for our country and for, uh, you know, important uh Public service and leadership that we're we're fighting as a team here, and and it's just it's just good to hear you doing your thing and seeing you out there, and and to know you're raising the next generation is going to follow in your footsteps. Well, they're voting for uh, New York Knicks and Kansas City Chiefs, like that. That's, <laughs> that's their party. My one, and they, interestingly, my big my older son has decided he wants to go to school in Miami. And my little guy says he wants to go to school in Kansas City because he wants to go to Chiefs games all the time. So that's right. what's driving their decisions. <laughs> and maybe that's an insight into outside of the echo how the populism is right. made. Maybe the part that's being missed the most, like Taylor Swift and and, and Jason Kelsey. There's there's something there that right, I still right. feel like is missing from cable news and right. is missing from politics. So we said it with Smirkanich. If Jason Kelsey ran, Travis. it would be fun to watch, right? Yeah, well, not not Jason. That's the other brother. You want Travis. <laughs> oh, I think Jason is the one. Travis, well, Travis, Jason in Pennsylvania is the one that's country music. Like, Jason is electable. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, if, I'm okay. if I'm Fetterman, if I'm Fetterman, I'm waking up every day going, oh, boy, I hope that, that Jason Kelsey. Because Jason Kelsey's like the real Fetterman, right? Right, like, right, right, right. And, and if he runs as an independent, he's my case positive. Positive, right, like if he ran as an independent in Pennsylvania, you got Oz and 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 Fetterman running again. My money's on Jason Kelsey. 
That, that's interesting. That is very interesting. Well, dude, I I, I like that. I like that uh, that visual. So we'll see how that plays out. All right. Out. Well, we like you. Thank you for your time, your friendship, your Appreciate mentorship, you, and Absolutely. your generosity. Michael Steele, the great Michael Steele. Everybody follow everything he does and stay vigilant, my friend. All right, my friend. You too. Thank you. Thank you. In these wild times, I am going to continue to bring you content that brings light to contrast the heat, independent voices to cut through the spin and partisanship that dominates our national dialogue. Be sure to check out Michael Steele's show, The Weekend, on MSNBC. Also, you can find me there over on MSNBC occasionally on Deadline White House, sometimes on Wednesdays when it's not my son's birthday, and sometimes on Fridays, usually in the 5 o'clock hour. And you can check me out most Wednesdays on News Nation with Connell McShane. And as I mentioned earlier, I am coming to South by Southwest in one of my favorite places, Austin, Texas, next month. And if you're going to that festival, check me out on a panel on March 9th with Andrew Yang and others. We're going to talk about the independent movement and what is next. And I will be joining Army Futures Command for another panel on March 12th, talking about psychedelics and the positive impact it can have on veterans' mental health. I will also be hanging out at the Continental, eating lots of barbecue, and listening to good music and hanging with some of my best friends who live in Austin, Texas. So if you're going to be attending, check it out. If not, I am going to try to bring you some of that content here on this show, so stay tuned. And we're going to continue to mix up this show. And I know I usually put this segment up front, but I want to bring you a special award to somebody who really caught my attention this week. Someone who continues to catch my attention for all the wrong reasons. Mayor Eric Adams is one of my least favorite politicians. I have been openly critical of Republicans and Democrats and maybe no Democrat more than the failure that is Mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. The hashtag I've come up with is Mayor Disaster. Because recently, in addition to cutting a variety of critical programs and bungling the entire migrant crisis and saying he was going to get paid in crypto, even though that wasn't possible, he recently cut maybe the most important and effective program that's been rolled out in New York City in the last couple of years. Public pre-K, which my son took advantage of, has now been cut by Eric Adams. He's cutting a significant percentage of the public funding for free education for three-year-olds. So by doing this, Eric Adams has disrupted and destroyed one of the single best things for families about living in New York City. And I think one of the best things the Democrats have come up with in recent years. It's an immeasurable and unnecessary loss for our city and countless kids and families, and a dent in what could be a real national model for Democrats to run on. It's a terrible and short-sighted move. And I want to take a minute to recognize Eric Adams with a special award that I think I'm going to have to dole out quite a bit in 2024. Congratulations, Mayor Eric Adams. You've earned this one. Hit it, Chris. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane while people behind me are going Yes, Eric Adams is our asshole of the week, but I also 
always want to take a minute to recognize the helpers. Especially in times like this, they are rising to the moment. I want to take a minute this week to recognize one that was very important to me personally. A true helper. Always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. If you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Richard Lewis is an iconic comedian that's been known around the world for his humor, his wit, and his intellect. And maybe most recently to a new generation through the incredible work that he's done on Curb Your Enthusiasm, which I highly recommend to everyone. Richard Lewis was a special, special man. We never met in person, but we met through Twitter, which is something that's happened a lot to me over the last decade. So many times over the years, he'd send me notes of encouragement, friendship, kindness, or to just bullshit about the Yankees. But he oozed goodness and was a true patriot who cared deeply about his country and about other people. He was a really nice man and a role model for me as a person. And I'm sad he's gone, but I'm thankful that I got to know Richard Lewis in a small way. And I will fight on in his memory and share his good spirit and try to be more like him. Richard Lewis, we're going to miss you, my friend. You are definitely one of the helpers. The helpers are out there, and 2024 will be full of chaos, but it will also be full of the helpers and full of independence because we independents are the future, and we're not alone in our independence. America is so deeply divided, more than ever, but we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are going to continue to work to change that and add light to contrast all the heat of the other political and news shows you've got. So if you're among the almost 50% of Americans who are independents, this is your show. And if you're a Republican or a Democrat and you're not a diehard partisan, which is more and more of you by the day, if you're independent curious, this is your show. All are welcome. Our independent movement is the hope for the future country over party, people over politics, light over heat, busting up the status quo and fueling a new movement that spans all across our country. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Michael Steele. If you did, please share it far and wide and be sure to subscribe if you haven't already and invite others to declare their independence and encourage Michael to do it too. Maybe he'll get there soon. And stay vigilant, my friend. Because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you're not alone in your vigilance. We're all vigilant. And we're all in this together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Hamas. Down with Putin. Slava Ukraine. Happy fifth birthday, Riv. We love you, man. And stay vigilant, America. Media.